What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 12th episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be talking about a wide receiver deep dive, talking about players like Michael Pittman, Amari Cooper, Sky Moore, and others with a very wide range of outcomes and trying to make sense of them. Joining me to break this all down today is someone I believe is one of the best analytics minds in the entire fantasy football world. He is king of the utilization report, more handsome than Tom Brady himself, and one of the best humans at PFF. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Dwayne McFarlane. Welcome to the show. Man, I feel like I should just I should just sign off now. Like <laughs> after, after that intro, like I, you know, anything I say beyond this, or if anyone actually goes to watch this on your YouTube channel, which I'm sure they will, since you you know you're you're a cool dude yourself. Uh, yeah, they're just gonna be like, yeah, Alex, man, you were lying to us. He's he's definitely not more handsome than Tom Brady. Oh man. Well, Hey, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, you're, you're the guy that gets to hang out with real quarterbacks. That Mac Jones thing was pretty, that, that, that was crazy. You're also, I guess, pretty tall. How tall are you? Um, I think I'm six, six, four, maybe six, five on okay. a good day. Yeah. I'm not slouching. That's one um, of the interesting things like with, with Twitter and, uh, just, you know, social media in general, like we don't know, like you don't know people's heights. You just see faces all the time. Like, you know, so like I'm five ten, you're six, four, uh, but like uh, rich rebar, right. I didn't know how tall rich was, you know, yeah. like just, and Evan's a big guy. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, man, I'm super excited to join your show. Uh, got the pleasure to like meet you like in person last well, not in person virtually, but last year on a football guys podcast. Yeah. And uh, like I've enjoyed following your stuff since then. So, yeah, uh, appreciate all that you're doing in the community, man. Absolutely. Likewise. And I appreciate it. And like you said, to go back to the like the height thing, I think I don't know if you'll go this year, but like the fantasy football expo in August. I know like Ian um, went there last yeah, I'm year. I'm going to go. Yeah. And it was the craziest thing seeing people's heights like in person and how like like a lot of people were taller or shorter than you expect. I think the craziest one for me, and I know I, I've literally seen him on TV so many times, is Mike Clay. Mike Clay is so tall in person. Like he's like is six he? two, six three. And like I don't like I wasn't like expecting Mike Clay to be short. Like I just like he was just like way taller than I would have imagined. And a lot of people, again, it was like when you see people have legs, you know, it's not just shoulders. <laughs> football people have legs, Everyone yeah. has legs. That was a big takeaway. But that's my that that's that was your big takeaway from the expo. That's my big takeaway from this pod. Everyone, <laughs> you know. 99% of people anyway. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least you would hope, but I'm excited for that. And I'm excited for this episode today. And the first player I wanted to talk about was probably one of the, you know, players that have been talked about the most over the last month or so at the NFL draft. And the fact that he was traded to a new team and that's AJ Brown, AJ Brown's on the Eagles. I think we know that AJ Brown is a great player, but can you give us a little bit more insight on what you expect from AJ Brown this year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just this week, for anybody that wants to go check it out, I put up my new wide receiver tiers and I created advanced data profiles for every single one of these players. So so this has really been my first full year to be or my first year to be full time um, in fantasy football. So I came on with Pro Football Focus last August and it was pretty much go time. Right. It was like I was getting my tiers and everything together, basically getting like thrown into the fire, like just getting people ready for drafts. Well, now this offseason, 
you know, I've, I've been playing fantasy football for a really long time. I play a lot of high stakes fantasy football. And so like, I've got a process that I've used. Um, I'm very data oriented, like you mentioned. And so now having access to all this really cool stuff at PFF, I had, I've had more of a chance to really, you know, kind of test different things, um, figure out other data points that we may have that I didn't know about. But a lot of what I have so far are really things that I know have been working at least for the last two or three years. So I created these advanced profiles for every single receiver. And the way that I break players down into tiers is based on some pretty um, common sense kind of things, but backed by really cool um, data and analytics. So number one really is just their talent, right? So AJ Brown's going to score really high on, on the talent level. And there's two areas of talent. Number one, can a receiver generate targets? And the way that I go about looking at that, one is looking at their historical target shares. If it's a player though, that has missed a lot of games due to injuries or they're in and out of games due to injury, or it's a player where we've really got, you know, maybe they were behind a loaded depth chart. I'll use targets per route run, right? Because really all that's grading is all that's grading for is like just when, when you were on the field, right? Step one is, can you get on the field? Step two is when you're on the field, can you demand targets in an offense, right? So targets per route run is a really cool thing I've been using for about the last three years to help look at guys that you've got smaller sample sizes on things like that. And then there's really more, okay, once you, you know, get the ball and there's really one step between. So where all can you demand targets, right? Every target's not equal. If you can demand a target deep and you connect on that, right? There's instantly yardage baked in. There's maybe a better chance you score a touchdown. So the average depth of target is taken in, right? Air yards, that kind of thing. Um, but then once you get the ball in your hands, like what can you do with it? Yards after the catch, right? And so because those two things, the ability to catch deep balls, catch balls more down the field, plus the ability to, to create yards after the catch, those lead to the bigger plays, which are your explosive target rate. So those are catches of 15 plus yards or more. So we've got talent equals the ability to generate targets, right? The next thing, and I also have like separation data and all these things, and there's some really cool stuff. I actually do look at man coverage, zone coverage. Like I use those as tiebreakers. Can a player, uh, do they create um, targets over the last three years equally, or at least as good against both types of coverage, that kind of thing. I'm really looking for thresholds. And then that next layer that really comes in is, you know, once you get past, you know, talent, then I'm looking at the really the environment that the player's in, right? And there's two components of that. There's one part that helps drive their volume. So for example, if uh, you are Jamar Chase, right? And we talked about talent, like he, yes, he did demand targets, not quite as much as some of the absolute, absolute elite guys last year. But then when you look at what he did after you got the ball in his hands, yards after the catch, 8.1 percentage of his targets that came at 20 yards or over 28%, his explosive play rates, 30%. Those are all like, if you're looking at like a heat map, like what I have, and I have this heat map set up in the article that the folks can find at PFF, where you can see every player, Jamar Chase is just a sea of blue. Cause I make blue like the best and then red is bad. Okay. And so whenever you're looking at him, like he hits all these things, but what's cool about Jamar Chase, man, there's, there's hardly anyone um, that gets the deep type of targets that he does that also has the yards after the catch ability. Like Debo is usually more underneath intermediate, you know, than he's a yak guy. Well, Jamar Chase can do both. He can beat you deep. He can beat you underneath. He can beat you deep and then run away from you, right? There's not very many receivers that can do that. But then there's the last part, which is really like I was talking about the team environment. And so first thing is like, how often do we expect the team to pass? And I exclude overtime since we can't project overtime. And I'm looking really at the coaching history, looking at the staff, and I'm doing a projection of what I think their dropbacks per game are going to be this year based on those things. And so for example, we'll stay with the Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase example. He's just slightly above league average. The Bengals, I've got him at 39.1. 
But then the next thing I want to know is like, what's their target competition? And an easy way I think that we can do that is really using market sentiment. So I actually use ADP. And right now I'm using FFPC's ADP for their best ball slims. And it's looking at the number of uh, teammates that Jamar Chase has at wide receiver that are also going in the top 36 and any t- any tight ends going in the top 12 at their position. And so then it just adds those together. So with Jamar Chase, he has one teammate, right, that's also going in the top. So not bad. Like like above average projected dropbacks, only one team un- only one teammate he's competing with targets for. And then the last part is quality of targets. And what I'm using for that is the quarterback ADP. Like so do we have a quarterback that's actually going to drop back and pass a lot? Now, you have to be careful with that because ADP, right, a lot of times the guys we love to take the most are several like Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, um, Lamar Jackson, even Josh Allen to some extent, but he throws enough. It's fine. Kyler really throws enough too, but you know, their ADPs get pushed up by their rushing. So that's why it's also important, important to have like dropbacks per game projected combined with really QB ADP. Cause you're looking okay, like a, a, a target from Patrick Mahomes is worth more than a target than a target from Mitchell Trubisky. Right. makes kind of sense. Yeah, and then the sense. last part is like, what Vegas's projected wins are. So that's the other thing. The number one stat that I found in the last 20 years, like of looking at individual stats for players and, and talking ones that are, that are widely known by pretty much everyone in the public, yards per attempt passing is the number one individual player stat that actually correlates back to wins in the NFL, right? It's not how often you throw it, it's how well you throw the ball, right? It's it's the number one driver. So, um, or correlator to wins, not always the driver. Um, so really all those things are coming together. And then of course, age, right? Age matters as well because we're using age curves. Guys that reach certain ages, every year I'm giving them a new percentage chance to start to fall off the cliff or bust, right? And that typically for receivers starts around 29 and a half years old, but also in their first five years, I'm giving them a better chance to break out. Um, You know, some of the and when I say breakout, a player can have multiple breakouts. You could break out from being a rookie wide receiver 50 to being a, uh, a second year wide receiver 25 to your third year, your wide receiver five, right? Cooper Cup you know, look what he did last year. Like that's a breakout, but it, you know, it, it, it wasn't something, it wasn't like, you know, it was just this nice steady climb. He had already been a wide receiver for drop down, came back up. So there are different ways that you can still be eligible for breakout season. So, sorry, I know that was a lot, but I, I know we'll be talking about these things. So I wanted to kind of give, um, yeah. if that makes sense to you, or if you have any other questions before, before we jump into AJ Brown, just kind of give the background of my methodology. Um, and again, all these things are things that I found actually do correlate. Um, back to fantasy points and they're things that some are more sticky than others and when i say sticky means year over year right do these things you know are they are they pretty consistent so with the like the, just just for my own clarification and, and for the listeners themselves like you're this whole process of how you're tiering and ranking these wide receivers are like a, a combination of like some of the most predictive numbers and statistics that you found you know over the last 20 years in terms of trying to find who will be the best based on the most yes. predictive metrics. Is that the, is that the yes. best way to put it? That's the best okay. way to put it. And if you want to All keep right. it simple, just think of two things, talent, right? And then the environment the player plays in. Like okay. if you've got both of those things, the environment is made up of all the stuff I talked about at the end. The talent has talked about the things I talked about at first. Gotcha. So can a player play really well and are they in a great environment? And so what happens is, um, just to kind of give folks an example, and then we'll jump into AJ Brown. My tier one this year is Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, and Jamar Chase. Those guys, if you were to look at a heat map of everything I just talked to you about, they're blue all the way across the board. The next player that is blue all the way across the board, I have in tier two only because they're not quite as high in target share, targets per route run, but they're going into their third year. Their name is C.D. Lamb. So C.D. Lamb, I would actually give as being the player that I would say by the end of this year, 
is the one that next year everyone will say, up oh, CD Lamb should be in tier one with Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar. Cooper Cup might slide a little more next year because he'll actually be 30 heading into the season. Um, so like he's already on the edge of where, but he does play in the slot, so that helps him. So anyway, I know this is not you didn't ask me about Cooper Cup, but no, well, I love giving the context and the background before we jump into the other guys. Well, you're you're okay, and, and please tell me if you're not not prepared for it. But can we can we actually just instead of AJ Brown, can we talk about CD Lamb here? Uh, yeah. I've never we can still heard. talk about AJ Brown. Yeah. AJ Brown's a great one to talk about too. Yeah. So CD lamb is someone that, again, I think a lot of people have high expectations for, he didn't break out as much as necessarily some people thought he would last year, but I don't know if he's necessarily in that tier of like the, you know, everyone will want him next year. So what have you seen, you know, that makes you really believe that he's going to be that guy this year? Sure. Well, I mean, number one, when you look at CD Lamb, um, even if you just take fantasy points, right? And what he's been, you know, being in the top 24 each of his two rookie seasons, if you just go look at the list of receivers that have been able to do that in their first two seasons out of the gate, like that alone will get you pretty excited. Um, so without doing any of the other things that I just told you, right? Then the second thing is if you look at what he's been able to do from a PFF receiving grade, um, his his targets per route run and his yards per route run over his first two years, those things just reinforce everything that sits behind, you know, the fantasy points per game. And so really like his underlying um, data points as far as what he's been able to do with, he's only going to be 23.4 years old. You know, he's only one year older like than Jamar Chase. This is still a really young player going into his third season. And then now, Whenever you look at it, you'd really have him and Dalton Schultz. And you have the Cowboys, who over the last two years have run the second most non-overtime plays. Um, so you got a high-volume offense. They are pass-balanced. They're not pass-heavy, but pass-balanced in an offense that runs the second most or most plays in the league every single year is still going to throw the ball mo more than most other teams, right? And so when you, for example, if you looked last year at the Cowboys and the games and the plays that they ran per game and non-overtime, they actually, if you were Dak Prescott and you played a full season, you got to play two full more games than Russell Wilson had he played a full season. That's how big of a deal these pace rates and how often, you know, how many plays these teams run. Like, so you, you got two extra, and again, this would be assuming fully healthy season. So let's just say Cowboys, you got two more games out of your Cowboy players than you did out of Seahawks players. Like that's a lot. Like that's, that's a lot of fantasy points, man. So those sort of things really matter. So with Lamb, it's just really everything is lining up. So when you look at his targets, uh, his target share, it's not great. 18%. His targets per route run though, 22%, you know, is not, it's not, elite but it's really good for his age and then his yards per route run 2.06 and then we just talked about the cowboys offense the fact that you now have amari cooper gone you got dalton schultz so it's really just him team projected wins 10 and a half and we're also we have a quarterback that everyone's willing to take in an adp of right now of qb10 off the board so literally everything across the board is lining up for cd lamb and that's not to mention what he can do with the ball once it's in his hands so you look at him 22 percent of his targets came deep that's above that's above above the league average for the nfl you look at his yards after contact he's in the near uh great group for that you know not quite elite you look at his explosive play rate 25 percent of his targets go for 15 plus yards or more which is also really good so like everything i wish we could show the visual but like when you see it like it makes really it, it makes it so easy honestly and it helps me like because sometimes like in the past like i'm thinking of all these things but i wasn't color coding it and setting it all up and you might try to count thing one certain thing too much right you might you know you may just kind of get carried away with the player situation or carried away with the player's talent what starts to happen with this is you'll see when you go look at my tears like truly 
you could take the names away. You could erase all of the names and you should be able to look at all the data that I have to the right of that and be like, yeah, these players belong together. That's the whole idea. Okay. And so with CD lamb, yeah, man, um, it looks really good for him. Like, I mean, it's just, just where he's at. Um, and then with the ability to, to, to be Dak's true, you know, number one target. And here's the other thing I'll say with CD lamb. So let's say lamb for whatever reason, just doesn't even take a step forward, right? He had a 21% targets per route run as a rookie came on. and had a 22% targets per route run last season. And the reason I'm using targets per route run instead of just using his target share is because CD lamb has never even been on the field for over 75% of the routes. So oh, wow. you name a scenario, you name a scenario to me where in the Cowboys offense with the receivers and players they have that CD lamb is not going to finally see 90 to 95% of the routes on just that alone. You take his routes time, his targets per route run, his targets are going to shoot up by like 20 just on that. Oh, wow. So if his targets per route, if he takes another step forward, which where he is going into year three, he probably will. I think you can pretty safely assume 23 to 25% target share for CD lamb with room for more. Now, he could cap out like we saw Amari Cooper do this, the guy that just left the Cowboys. You know, he started off really hot as a young player, but he never truly took the next step. So it doesn't always work with every player, but there are enough things positive for Lamb. Like I absolutely want him. And the tier I have him in, I have him with Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams. That's how highly I think of CD, CD Lamb this season. Wow. And and can I ask, and I, I know this is different and this might not be, you know, super like, you know, correlating to, to how the situation is now because this player was not, you know, a, a third year player going into this. But like with that whole process, like was Cooper Cup someone that stuck at, like stuck out last year, you know, based on some of those metrics? Or was Cooper yeah. Cup kind of a unicorn in terms of like broke out of nowhere? Well, Cooper Cup, it's, you know, he broke out later having okay. the huge year, right? But yep. the changing thing for him was really Matthew Stafford. The big change last year for Cooper Cup is if you go now look at his, his dot. I think it dropped down to 6.8. Whereas with Goff early on in the play action days when Cooper Cup was first in the league, like a lot of deeper targets. And then it okay. just kept going down, down, down. So basically Matthew Stafford re-energized Cooper Cup last season because now – you know, he everybody basically on the Rams had a little bit better a dot because Matthew Stafford's going to push the field ball down the field. Like receivers typically own their a dot, but what I think the better way to think of it is they own the pecking order of the a dot on their team. You have yep. a stronger arm quarterback. The guy that was the, if a guy was with a weak arm quarterback last year, he was still probably always going to be the guy that had the highest a dot on the team. It's just how high is that a dot going to be if that makes sense. And then the yep. same thing for the guy. So Ben Roethlisberger, you know, if you're Juju Smith Schuster, you know, you had like a three a dot or whatever, right? But if you were with Patrick Mahomes and you're now Juju Smith Schuster and you're still the guy running the most shallow routes, you're probably gonna have like a seven or an eight a dot, right? It's all relative, you know. So the quarterback does contribute to it. But yeah, Cooper Cup, like the big thing for him, like he had already broken out once. We had already seen him be a wide receiver four yep. before. Then he had an off year but his underlying data points were all still strong his yards per route run were there his targets per route run all those sort of things were there and guess what a very similar scenario for cooper cup as up until last year he had never truly had that 90 to 95 percent route treatment because he was the slot player he was coming off the field all the time up until two years ago it might have been three years ago when they finally started using him more but he had never truly had that high high route per drop back rate and so, again, a similarity back to C.D. Lamb. The other thing we hear with Lamb that's similar to Cooper Cup, they're still going to kick him inside probably whenever, they, whenever they're running three wide and they'll let Jalen Tolbert play outside. Michael Gallup's got to come back from the ACL. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for 
um, Lamb to play all over the field. I'm going to see more routes than he ever has. Where he's at in his age curve, based on the things he's shown us early on, like he's really, he's just set to pop, man. Is there any other, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second, if I may. Sure. Like CD Lamb's a guy that you just kind of happened to mention that really wasn't on our show sheet. That is someone that you fully believe is going to break out, that your process is really a lot higher on than you know, probably the consensus is on average. Is there any other player that is is really high in your consensus, similar to CD Lamb, that not many people would expect, but you believe is going to have a lot better season than the average person would? Yeah, well, one other component that I use um, is I also do use ADP, right? Because okay. I think that markets are generally, you know, efficient and we want to maximize them. And then the other thing that that does, that keeps me from getting overly high on any one player. And, okay. and, and but the other thing that it does, like the huge part is it keeps you from reaching in a draft. So yeah. you won't see anybody in my ranks where I will have them at like five um, and everyone else has them at 30, like what will happen is that player will end up at like 21 or 22. But what I'll do in my write-ups is I'll tell them like, look, if you just took ADP away, like this, and you look at this player, and that's the beauty of what I've done in the tiers, and you can see it now for yourself, you'll actually be scrolling down through them and you're going to see players. And again, you can ignore their names. You can be like, well, this profile actually looks like a receiver that goes three rounds ahead. And guess what? You're right. And that's where your arbitrage type plays come in. Um, so, yeah, as far as just having another player that I'm really um, higher on than the consensus, um, I'm slightly higher uh, on T. Higgins. I am the guy that's probably for an you know like top twenty four receiver that I'm higher on than anybody else uh, is Michael Pittman Jr. I've got him at ADP of eleven. I do believe you have him on the show sheet. Yeah, um, we do. FFPC ADP is seventeen. He's a little higher over on underdogs on underdog at an ADP of 14 right now. He's in my tier two a, so I typically break each tier down into one a one B one C. And you'll usually see that the better, uh, the most robust profiles would be the a with the most upside. Then B typically you've got a little bit of a safer floor. And then your C guys are the guys that their situation may be the craziest, but we know the talent is still there. So they, they could have a slightly wider range of outcomes basically is, is the way the tiers work. Um, and I outline all that at, at the beginning of the article for anybody who wants to check it out. But with Michael Pittman, man, um, going into his third season, um, 24.9 years old, um, PPR per game last year of 13.9, but man, target share 24%. So like, if you look at, you know, your wide receiver one, like over the last, um, three NFL seasons, you know, and you look at his targets, um, uh, if you look at Pittman's targets per route run, also at a 22%. So honestly, like, you know, he profiles very similarly to, like just from a talent perspective, is C.D. Lamb. Not quite as explosive Ooh. with the ball in his hands after the catch, um, but potentially more of a menace in the end zone. Um, if you look at his red zone targets, you look at his end zone targets, they're all well above average. So that's another component that you want to look at. Um, but one thing I compare all these things to are running averages for the last three years, right? Um, for wide receiver ones, which I'm talking 12 team leagues on all these wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes. So whenever you look at Michael Pittman, like his targets per route run, um, they actually qualify as a wide receiver two. But then when you look at his, uh, it is red zone and his inside the five target shares over the last couple of years, he qualifies as a wide receiver one. You look at his ability after the catch, he's a wide receiver two. He's in my tier two A. But the biggest thing holding him back um, is in his yards per route run have been really good at a 1.95. Like we want to be at a two, but 1.95 is still really good. 
Um, the biggest thing holding him at holding him back is really, you know, the the offensive environment, right? So the Colts ran the ball more than anyone last year, but they also led by four points or more more than any other team in the NFL, and that is not a very sticky stat. You can go for margins like that, right, can change really quickly. And all of a sudden what we could see from the Colts, we could see them in more neutral game scripts, meaning the game is within three. They'll also probably pick up a few more trailing scripts this year. It's really hard to stay at, at, a, at, as, at as a high of a rate as what we saw with the Colts last year. So I'd expect them to pass the ball a little bit more. They're still going to want to run the ball. Their identity will be running the ball, trying to be a run-heavy team. But remember, game script can be dictated by the nature of the way the game's playing out. The other thing that he gets is an upgrade in quarterback, and most people probably wouldn't think that. They think, oh, man, it's Matt Ryan, Dwayne. Like, come on, give me a break. Like, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, what's the difference? There's a huge difference. Uh, Matt Ryan was more accurate at every single layer of the field over the last three years um, versus Carson Wentz. Wow. Short, behind the line of scrimmage, intermediate, deep, a better passer, even at this age, than what we got out of Carson Wentz. So what that means is even if – so there's two things that just happened there, right? Most likely you're going to see more um, passing plays from the Colts this year, and you just got to bump up in the quality of targets. So both Michael Pittman, for me, you know, a player that's going into his third year, has already shown us a lot over his first two years, still doesn't have a lot of target competition. They did add Alex, Alec Pierce in the draft. Um, they've still got Paris Campbell there, but most likely have T.Y. Hilton moving on. They did add Jelani Woods. They brought Moali Cox back. But none of these names, like Alec Pierce was a late riser in the draft, right? He honestly didn't really do very good in my rookie model. model. He was okay. The biggest thing lifting Alec Pierce up was the fact that he actually got drafted in the second round. And draft capital really does matter. So I don't want to completely dismiss Alec Pierce. I think he's fine as a later round pick. But having watched these scenarios play out, like I think Michael Pittman is in a really good spot. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Michael Pittman garner a 30% target share this season, which, you know what, honestly, that's really what you need him to do to have a shot at being a wide receiver one in a, on a team that we know actually runs the ball. The Colts, the thing is, even if they play from behind, they're still going to run the ball more than the average NFL team does in that situation. You know, so if you looked at them last year, they ran the ball more when they were trailing more when they were close and more than they were leading than pretty much every team in the NFL, Tennessee, there might've been one other team that might've been ahead of them, but they were in the top three across all categories. So we know they want to run the ball, but again, game scripts will dictate that they're going to throw the ball a little bit more than they did last year. Better passing. We know Michael Pittman has the talent. Uh, and again, the only thing with Pittman, he's not a big yak guy. Like some of these other guys, like he's okay though. Remember like, he, he reminds me, you know, he's, he's more along the lines of a possession receiver, but his ability to really play big and be someone that can be used in the end zone, that's going to be a big plus for Pittman. So we could get 30% of the targets in Indianapolis, even on a run-heavy offense, and I think you're going to see him get, just like, you know, the last season, 30 to 40% of the targets in the end zone will go to him. So that gives him a shot, man. That gives him a shot at a 90-catch, 10-touchdown season. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm super excited for Michael Pittman as well. <laughs> and again, even preparing. I mean, the fact that, you know, as in a, as a second year player last year that he had a, he was eighth in the NFL in target share. I mean, the, the other thing you talked about that, you know, CD Lamb and Cooper Cup didn't necessarily have was like the route participation. I mean, he was third in the NFL in route participation and number two in route run win rate per player profiler. I know that he was also a reception perception darling last year and he was one of the guys that Matt Harmon had written up in his late round players to target Michael Pittman he's like this guy could be a really really great route runner and then you combine that with everything that you said that things shape up you get an upgrade at quarterback play and Michael Pittman all of a sudden is one of the really great players that you're going to be want to targeting targeting a lot in your draft but another player that 
you also mentioned that I really wanted to get into. And I think that I love for like, we love to see these duos, you know, that have that finish, you know, in the top 12, like your 2019 Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, your 2018, you know, Antonio Brown and Juju Smith Schuster guys like that, that could be, you know, see uh, Jamar chase and, and T Higgins this year. And you said that T Higgins, is one of the guys you're higher on. So I might as a listener or someone else be saying like Dwayne, like, I want to draft T Higgins, but I'm worried about his ceiling when he plays with Jamar Chase. But you obviously are very bought in on what T Higgins looks like. Why is that? And what is his potential or ceiling this year with Jamar Chase still healthy? So, so just to give everybody a little, like, like kind of one little step back, right? So if, if we look at tier one, hyper elite talent, right? All in good situations. Yep. Tier two, a slight step below than what we see, um, you know, in talent for Lamb and Diggs versus the top three, but they're pretty close, right? Devontae Adams has the talent, but he's changing teams, right? He loses Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have more target competition with Hunter Renfro and with Darren Waller. So those things are factored in. Next tier down, still tier one. I only have eight players tiered as wide receiver ones, and it stops with Debo Samuel and Tyreek Hill. They have the every bit of the talent that the, all the top guys have. The problem is they're going to be in run heavy offenses and we have quarterback questions, but still quality offenses that are projected to win a lot of games. So again, we can expect there to still be some healthy touchdown, um, you know, competition or an ability to score some touchdowns on those offenses. Um, even though we're not sure about their quarterbacks, the next tier is the one we're talking about. It's got T Higgins and we can come back to AJ Brown as well because he's in it. Michael Pittman, we already discussed, and then Jalen Waddle. And so here's the difference, right? All of these players, they haven't quite shown it as long as like the very top tier, right? Their ability, you know, but they've already flashed that top level talent. And then their situations are all, eh, there's some different things. So we just talked about Michael Pittman. He only has one other teammate in a top, with a top 36 or top 12 wide receiver slash tight end ADP. T Higgins has himself, right, plus what you just mentioned, Jamar Chase. But when you look at his projected dropbacks per, per game, 39.1 for Higgins versus Michael Pittman, we've got at a 34.0. So that's the big difference. We're, we see a, an offense that's going to have more passing volume with T. Higgins. We also have an offense that's projected to win 10 games, and we have a quarterback that we're taking with an ADP of five right now. So you can support two really awesome wide receivers and a fantasy offense if you believe, right, that you've got a quality offense with a good quarterback, and that's what T. Higgins has. Now, again, he ranks in my Tier 2A, right? So he is in Tier 2, meaning he actually profiles versus what we've seen fantasy point-wise uh, for wide receiver uh, twos, top-end wide receiver twos. That's what T. Higgins profiles for. But he ranks number nine for me because I'm basically – I don't have – enough guys based on the profiles this year that I can, that I can truly grade as wide receiver ones, if that makes sense. So yep. yeah, T Higgins is my wide receiver nine. Um, if you, you know, a lot of the same things, honestly, that we talked about with T with CD lamb targets per route run 22% target share was 19%, but you have to be careful. Remember T Higgins was hurt some last year. And he also, when he was coming back, he was playing a little bit dinged up. So for a player like that, I really like using the targets per route run yards per route run actually better than CD lamb. 2.26 right and he was over a two as a, in his first year um so if you look at his yards after the catch pretty strong 3.9 not as good as like cd lamb as justin jefferson not quite on their level but his explosive play rate is still really good at 27 percent. and again 
part of that comes back to the quality of offense that he plays in, and we still see it as being a high quality. This is an ascending offense, right? This isn't just a high quality offense. None of us would be surprised if the Bengals have the number one offense in the league. We also saw the Bengals last year down the stretch finally start to loosen the reins on the passing game. They've upgraded the offensive line because what was the big problem last year? The sack rate for Joe Burrow was really bad. Like he was getting sacked well above the league average. The league average, I want to say, is like right around five or five five percent of your dropbacks you're going to get sacked. Um, Burrow was up closer towards ten percent. So they definitely had some problems on the offensive line. They've addressed a lot of that. So I just think you're going to see an offense that's going to continue to take another step forward. And yeah, Jamar Chase is there and he's amazing. But T Higgins is also a really good player. This is a former second round play second round pick um, that has shown us in my mind, everything that he needs to show. So again, like that's where the tiers are. They're, they're very interesting, right? Cause the talent is similar for everyone that's in this tier, but the way that we get to it is a little bit different. Michael Pittman is the only game in town, right? On his, on his run heavy team. T Higgins is really probably the one B to the one a Jamar chase, but he's in an offense that we think is going to throw more and we love the quarterback. Okay, absolutely. I that that totally makes sense from the T Higgins argument. But what about like someone I would call like your your Walmart T Higgins? You know, a player in a similar number two role, playing with someone that has a really great quarterback, a really great offense, and an upgraded offensive line, and someone like Mike Williams. No, they're not the same player, but you know, Mike Williams is someone that's had forty end zone targets since twenty nineteen, only converted eight of them. I think positive regression is incoming in that. Last year, he had a career high in targets, receptions, receiving yards. He's going to be 27 years old, which is right in the prime of his career. Last year, he had a career high in target share at 20.8%, but a career low in ADOT at just 10.8 when his previous lowest was 14.8. But similar to like the Bengals offense, like you said, is this is still a really great offense that's condensed. So are you believing in Mike Williams the same way, or are these just two different players? No, I do like Mike Williams, you know, and I've got him actually in my in tier. So for my tier two, I have more tiers than normal just because I had I didn't have as many in tier one. So I've got him um, right now at 22 and he is a tier two receiver as well. Again, remember, ADP does factor in some here because I'm, I'm I know people will use these lists to draft. Right. And so when you're looking at the tiers, it's also designed to help you you know, don't reach for a player you don't have to is also part of like what's thinking, you know, because I know the way people use these things essentially, right? Because I'll have somebody come to me and <laughs> you know how it works. Like I'll get the DM, man, I used your tiers just to draft straight off of. And I, you know, you're thinking through, okay, that I really have that set up in the best way for them to draft. So anyway, having said all that, yeah, Mike Williams, he does hit a lot of the similar things. He will be 27.9 when the season starts. So he's really almost 28. And so here's the thing with Mike Williams. Um, Mike Williams, former top eight pick overall, top eight picks overall, like just have a freaking awesome track record. Honestly, Mike Williams is actually one of the blemishes on that record for how good those players play. Jalen Waddle, I took him on over 60% of my teams last year in round nine. Wow. And it was just, honestly, it was just, I had a lot of research on him. I like, but the easiest part was he was pick eight in a strong class, right? And, you know, so or he might, he might've been pick nine, but he was still taken inside the top 10. And a really strong draft class. So for me, with Jalen Waddle, it was pretty easy last last season. But Mike Williams, he did show something really good early in the season. You know, so if we look at you know Mike Williams and how he played out of those first four games, like man, like you thought you probably had a league winner. And then at the end of that Cleveland game, he hurt his knee, came back. That that shortened you know, didn't shorten his game, but he was limited the next week. I don't know. I don't think he even got to forty percent of the routes the following week in week five. Um, then they got a bye week. 
And then he came back and it was just a huge midseason lull, right? He just didn't do much. It was kind of like, oh, wait, we're back to like old Mike Williams. Um, but then towards the end of the year, he really started to heat up again. Now, Brandon Staley has come out and said, you know, like I think it was towards the end of last season that it was nothing to do with Mike Williams's knee, blah, blah, blah. But you just never know because like what's a coach's incentive, right, to really – tell another team if they're playing with a hurt player, right? They're trying to win a game. They probably want maximum resources allocated to Mike Williams, even if he's hurt, to try to help Keenan Allen, right, or some other receiver. So it's really always tough for me to try to parse through, you know, a lot of the coach speak. So I don't I don't know how much I trust Brandon Staley on that. Like, it, it could be mere coincidence, right? I mean, that really could be the case, Alex. Like, I could be wrong, but that first part of the year, to your point, man, like, what he was doing, like – it showed the flash of what we all thought Mike Williams could be. And then he comes back, you know, he's with the chargers again, you hit on all the same thing. So his targets per route run 21% last year, he's never, he's never really been above that in his career though. So I do get a little worried about players um, that their targets per route run. It's like Amari Cooper, who we'll talk about later. Eventually a player just kind of is who they are. Right. And it's not necessarily bad, but it just lets you know how to slot them. Typically by year five, you know what you need to know about all these players. And so with Mike Williams, the caveat I'll give, is he still hasn't truly had that breakout. But what I don't know is if last year had he not hurt his knee, would we have true would we have seen him actually just continue on going? Um, because here's the thing with Keenan Allen right now, dude, Keenan Allen's gonna be 30.4 years old this season. His targets per route run have been diminishing three three years in a row. His yards per route run have been diminishing four, three years in a row. He doesn't score long touchdowns. He's only got two touchdowns over 40 yards in his career over like 116 games. His yak is down to 3.4, uh, you know, and his explosive play rate as well is below the league average of 17%. So Keenan Allen really, like, he's a possession receiver at this point, and I like him. I like Keenan Allen. Um, but there's a case to be made that really, based on what we saw early last season, is there a range of outcomes where Mike Williams actually just takes over as the lead receiver for the Chargers? Yeah. I think based on what we saw early last season, we at least have to give him a chance. Um, like I haven't put a percentage to what I think the chance of him doing that. That's something we're actually working on. Like we have um, you know, a team that's working on Sims and things like that. So trying to sim out, like if we send Mike Williams season based on these inputs, you know, 10,000 times, how many times does Mike Williams, you know, bust into the top 12, that kind of thing, right. That would add extra context to like this type of stuff that we're sharing. Um, but when you talk about uh, projected dropbacks per game, I've got the chargers at 42.3. That's the, I have them the second highest in the league behind only the Buccaneers. Um, you look at top 36 ADP. We've talked about his only challenger is Keenan Allen. So it's just him and Keenan Allen projected to win 10 games and a quarterback. That's the QB three off the board. So there are a ton of things to like about Mike Williams. I've got him in the same tier with Marquis. Brown, Cortland Sutton, uh, Jerry Judy, Chris Godwin, and Michael Thomas um, as a wide receiver too. Wow, I absolutely love that. That's that's really good stuff on him. But so you said that you have all those guys in those tier. I didn't I didn't necessarily hear Amari Cooper in in that tier. Is he above or, or below that tier? Where are you at, Amari Cooper? Because I personally am not someone that's very bought into Amari Cooper. I never really have been. He's had one finish inside the top 12 in seven seasons, but he's been between. This is actually a pretty wild stat. Amari Cooper's target share in his entire career, he's played seven years, has been between 19.7% and 22.4% every single year of his career. That's 2.7% target share difference between his best year and his worst year across seven seasons. To me, that says that, you know, Amari Cooper will probably never break into a big target share, 
But I know there's other people that are also saying, okay, this is the least condensed offense he's ever played in with the Browns. Like his biggest competition right now without Jarvis Landry is probably someone like David Bell. So do you think that Amari Cooper takes that target share leap or is he going to be the same player that he's always been? I, if I had to put a bet on it, I would say he doesn't. I, okay. I think at this point, we know what Amari Cooper is, and he's actually played in some offenses where there was plenty of opportunity, you know, before. Um, so, I mean, it's funny, like I'm looking in my notes, um, he's a 20 to 22% targets per route player at this point in a season with a deteriorating yak, uh, not a great red zone, end zone threat, never has been in his career. You know, he's been really more of a guy that, you know, needs to catch the ball and then run it into the end zone. He's not like a great high pointer, great route runner, good separator and was historically really good with the ball in his hands after the catch, right? But that's just been going downhill. So to me, he's a player that, um, and despite ADP being part of what I do, ADP has Amari Cooper right now at 19 and 20. I have him at 32. So I have him as a a wide receiver three. I'm well below the market. I have him in the same tier as Allen Robinson, DeAndre Hopkins, and, and Brandon Cooks. And I really just think that's what he is. I think a lot of what happens with Amari Cooper is we just remember that super high draft pick. We remember how young he was when he came in the league and what he did as a really young player. And it... And it and they were good things. Amari Cooper is a good football player. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I live in Dallas. There are things Amari Cooper can do that when I watch it, I just think it's a thing of beauty. He just doesn't have every gear that you need in the NFL. Like he he is not a contested catch guy. Um, you know, he can run after the catch, he can separate, but he's not really a great down the field player, like even catching the ball in a bucket, like running past uh, you know, defenders. He's a really good intermediate, like and short underneath route separator. And again, he's got the deteriorating yak. Could you see yak bounce back? Yak is one of the, you know, it's sticky, but it's not, it doesn't, it won't surprise you if you see a player go from a 3-3 to a 4-5, like it can happen. Now he will be playing in a scheme that will be heavy play action. It will be designed to help get him more yards after the catch. So think about San Francisco's offense, very similar offense with Kevin Stefanski uh, and the Browns. Remember, he learned that offense from Gary Kubiak, who learned that offense from who? Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's dad. Right. So that's really the offense that you have going with the Browns. So I think that's a positive, but we still don't know. Like if I knew absolutely that Deshaun Watson was going to play even 12 games of the season, um, that would bump Amari up a little bit. Right. That would give him a, that would give him a little bit more. So even though like I use this methodology, I still have my ability like, cause right now it's got QB 14 um, for Deshaun Watson, but we know if Deshaun Watson was actually going to play, and we knew he was going to play 16 games, right? He would be a top eight. He would be a top six fantasy quarterback. People would be taking him as a top six quarterback. So knowing that, like Amari Cooper, if that were to happen, he's going to move up a little bit in the ranks. Um, but what's also not necessarily really well baked into this is that, man, there there is a chance Deshaun Watson doesn't even play this year. Like, yeah. All this stuff is still playing out in court, and the NFL is not going to play their hand until they have to, right? Yeah. I don't think we're going to get any kind of information early on this. I think it will be later than what people expect because I think they're going to want to have the most information they can possibly have because they don't want to oversuspend him, but they also don't want to underdo it based on what comes out, you know, through the civil stuff. Yep. That totally makes sense. No, and I'm and I'm with that. I think because of the situation, what that could look like, I'm I'm definitely avoiding Amari Cooper. You know, not only based on ADP, but I think based on the situation as well. I'm totally with that. But we've talked a lot about a lot of the top guys. Yeah, real quick, that run heavy yeah. offense with 34.7 dropbacks per game. Like I have them projected like in the bottom five. Like the Browns want to run the football. Could Deshaun Watson open that up some? Yeah, but he might not either. They don't have a lot of weapons, right? Their their next best weapon is David and Joku. You draft David Bell. You got Donovan Peoples-Jones on the outside. Your next your next best weapon that's known 
is actually probably Kareem Hunt. And, and there's rumors they could cut him. So the way I look at it is like the way the Browns offense is built, even if Deshaun Watson gets back, like they'll loosen the reins a little bit and let him throw, but I, this is going to be a run heavy offense. So the fact that it could be condensed, a lot of it is offset by how heavy of a run offense it's going to be. So like when we look at Michael Pittman, they profile very, very similar, similarly, except Pittman is on the ascending part of his career, right? Yeah. Amari Cooper has already flattened and he's going to be 28.2 years old. He's slightly in the range of where we can start to see the decline as well. And we don't yep. know when that's going to hit. Yep. hundred percent. No, I'm totally with that. But like I mentioned, we, we talked about a lot of the top guys, but the, let's talk about some of the, the want to hit AJ Brown or no, I think <laughs> we'll, move on, with him we'll, we we'll move on from AJ Brown. Unfortunately, I know that we mentioned him at the Here, high level, AJ Brown. He, yeah. when it comes to talent, he is an absolute badass. If he had not landed on the Eagles, um, where you got to deal with Dallas Goddard, you got to deal with Devonte uh, Smith. Like I still think AJ Brown's going to have a twenty-eight to thirty percent target share. But we also have an offense that we know ran the ball more than any other offense in the league after Week Five last year. Yes, they threw it more than any other li- pat, uh, team in the league. But Nick Sirianni is already, you know, in the first four games. But Nick Sirianni has already come out and said, "Look, no, we would be stupid. We still want to try to run the ball." That's really what opened things up for us. So I don't think we're going to see a high volume offense. You got two other players challenging for targets. Um, the quarterback is going high QB seven now for Jalen Hurts, but we also know a lot of that's tied to rushing the ball. And Vegas has them basically as a uh, a five hundred team. It projected at eight and a half wins. So AJ Brown, man, talent screams he should be a wide receiver one. Situation brings him down to high end wide receiver two. Definitely. No, I'm I'm with that. I think that again, and just because the range of outcomes, I'd rather trust a lot. Besides Debo Samuel, you know, in the ADP top 10, I'd rather trust just about every other guy. I think they have a better situation than AJ Brown does, as much as the talent is absolutely there. But let's hit on some lower the, the guys. The thing with Brown, just like the one thing, like man, in the games where he just ran 79% of the routes, because he had games where he so he scored 13.9 fantasy points per game. That's what people see. Oh, the games he played. But yeah. again, if you go back and you look at the games where he didn't even get to like 40% of the routes because he got hurt and he had to leave the game. His fully healthy games, he demanded 31% of the targets, um, and he scored 16.3 fantasy points per game. So he's still a player I like. He's very talented. You never really want to fade talent, but he just can't get a wide receiver one grade because of the situation. Definitely, definitely. No, I'm totally with that. But let's talk about some of the lower guys because we are running out of time here a little bit. So I want to talk about – I'm going to give you three names here. And you are going to tell me if you are above consensus or below consensus at ADP with each of these guys. And if there's anyone that really sticks out to you the most, feel free to talk about them. And those guys are three guys that have been talked about a lot and have a very wide range of outcomes right now. And that is Rashad Bateman, Gabriel Davis, and Kadarius Tony. Is there any one guy that sticks out to you the most that you're the most above or the most below among those three players? Um, so you got Bateman. Right now, I'm basically right at ADP on okay. Bateman. Um, so, and then um, Tony, I've got right now uh, a little ahead of ADP. Um, and it, he's just fallen, you know, since the yeah. draft because of Wandell Robinson. But still, I mean, he's still a top 50 pick on both FFPC and underdog. Um, the big thing with Carriers Tony, like he only had his 250 routes or well, it might have been 201 routes last year, but um, 26% targets per route run. That's 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 a monster number. <laughs> yeah, I know it was on a smaller sample size. So basically, you're still just betting on the talent with Kadarius Tony. Doesn't have any teammates going inside the top 36 ADP at wide receiver or top tight end or top 12 tight ends. So basically, the you know the the public is already saying we have no clue who the guy is going to be for the Giants. 
Um, it's a team, though, that's only projected to win seven games, and also no one really wants their quarterback in Daniel Jones. So the situation is not great. It's a pure bet on talent. Um, he need, if he could play in the slot, that would be great. Sterling Shepard's still coming off an Achilles. Um, you've got Wondell Robinson, who was taken in the second round. There was kind of some smoke around potentially trading Kadarius Tony, but look, the, the, the talent is there. And so the tier I have him in, all you're going to hear is young talent. Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Brandon Ayuk, Kadarius Tony, Chase Claypool, Christian Watson. Have them all in the same tier. Okay, absolutely. That's that's totally fair. One other thing with Kadarius Tony that I wanted to mention is the fact that you know since 2011, there's been 13 wide receivers that were drafted in the first round to average over 2.00 yards per route run in their rookie year. 11 of those 13 players have had a wide receiver one season at some point. And that's 11 out of 13. Kadarius Tony is one of those 13 players. So outside of Tony right now, that's 11 out of 12 players that hit that yards per out run mark have hit a wide receiver one. You take in the monster number of that seventh in the NFL target rate when he was on the field, seventh in the NFL as a rookie and demanding targets every time he was running a route. He's also third among all rookies in yards after the catch. Kadarius Tony is another one of those guys I love. One other guy I wanted to hit on real quick that I did mention in that thing that I wanted to hear your thoughts about really quick. Gabriel Davis, are you in or, or out on, on Gabriel Davis? Like, do you think that there's a lot of people on Twitter that are always battling about, you know, Gabriel Davis is going to be the next guy that breaks out or Gabriel Davis is terrible? Are you more neutral in that situation? Do you have a side to play? Yeah, yeah. So here's my thought on Gabriel Davis. Uh, you know, the Bills didn't draft a receiver. And so I know the instant thing that people will say as well, you know, you got to be able to create targets. And that's true. But if you look at Gabriel Davis last year um, down the stretch, once he finally became the starting wide receiver, um, because up up until you know the last six games of the season, including the playoffs, like he was a forty percent route guy, and then they finally just said, okay, boom, here we go, eighty percent of the routes. You're going to be opposite of Stefan Diggs for the most of the time during the games. He actually jumped up to a targets per route run of 20% during that stretch, which was actually higher than his season average of 18%. And if you include his playoff games, he averaged a he averaged over two yards per route run in the time that he was actually trusted to be a starter. He's only 23 and a half years old going into this season. And so here's my thought on, on, on Gabriel Davis. It's this. Like, what moves him up right now? I've got him at wide receiver 28. Um, FFPC has him at 34 um, underdog has him at 26. So I'm, I'm above consensus on FF FFPC. I'm below consensus on underdog. Um, but if you look at his, um, his underlying data points, like the year before, and if you just, if you just use his averages and you don't go back and kind of like peel back the layers and look once he actually try, you know, truly got to get on the field. Like, I think it's kind of, that's where some of the negative sentiment, you know, is coming from. I, had another receiver been drafted like in the first or second round, I think it would have been really problematic for Gabriel Davis. But right now, here's the thing. It's like C.D. Lamb. If you look at Gabe Davis, I don't see a scenario with the roster they have with how much 11 personnel and 10 personnel, and they could use more 12. They did add O.J. Howard. Um, I don't see a scenario where Gabe Davis isn't on the field for at least 85 to 90% of the routes. And if he just does that alone and he does not take a step forward and targets per route run, and let's say it's 18%, not even the 20% he averaged, you know, down the stretch, right? Because targets per route run, I think you're better off just look at the whole season because it's just saying, hey, when you were on the field, could you demand a car target? It doesn't matter if you're a starter or not. So let's just use that 18%. And if he doesn't improve from that 18%, he still plays in the offense that we think is going to probably run top three in passes thrown, has the number one QB and ADP, and is the team projected for 11.5 wins by Vegas, one of the tops in the league. So you have a high-quality situation. 
The other targets, Dawson Knox is really not very good. Targets per route run, well below league averages for NFL tight ends, uh, below league averages for top 12 tight ends in fantasy football. If we look at you know the other option, Jamison Crowder, I think, is actually more of a threat than Dawson Knox to actually make noise in the Buffalo offense, you know, more than what we think. Um, but yeah, so for me with Gabe Davis, like even if he doesn't take a step forward, it's kind of like CeeDee Lamb. Just on the extra routes he's going to get, it's going to be hard for him to not finish as a wide receiver three. If he takes a step forward, and actually gets better, There's, I think his range of outcomes includes being up to wide receiver 18. Wow. And again, look, his profile does not pro, it doesn't say that. It doesn't, it, it, his comps are not great at this point in his career. Now, that's including draft capital, right? After next year, I, I drop draft capital out of my model. Going into year three, I still include a player's draft capital. Um, so, Next year, he, you know, he could actually like it could actually it's weird. That's where I kind of have to watch the stuff. He could look a little, even a little better in the model. But like for Davis, yeah, man, like it's just uh, if you were just to comp him on his first two years, not kind of look at some of the underlying stuff of when he became a starter, like his, his comp players aren't real great. They're like Devin Funches, uh, Torrey Smith is in there. So some players that have shown flashes in the past, but never truly became, became consistent producers. And I still think that's the floor for Gabe Davis. I think there's a chance that, you know, really he's already hit all he can be and he could actually regress. But in the Buffalo offense, where he's going in ADP, I think there's also enough upside and there's a big enough case that if he just stays neutral and just stays the same player that he was last year, if he could just hold steady, he's going to end up paying off at ADP. So I'll I'll have even to above market exposure on Gabe Davis. Won't be a player that I'm having to draft every time, but I do want above average uh, exposure on him. Okay, I love that. That that is a that is a good of a case as I've ever heard for Gabriel Davis. I'm excited to see what that looks like. The last I was point, low on him, man, ahead of the draft. Like I was telling people, don't draft this guy. He's already going as high as he's going to go, even if the Bills don't draft a receiver. Like so, just if you want to draft Gabe Davis, wait until the NFL draft's over. Definitely. The last player I want to touch on real quick. We only have a couple minutes to do it. Is Sky Moore? Before we get into your flag print. Sky Moore, I think, is very interesting. I know that there is a lot more, a little bit of target competition in that offense now with Travis Kelsey, Juju, and Marquise Valdez-Scantling. Sky Moore, a rookie that people are really high on. Again, he had a top 1% you know, college target share last year. He was an early declare, 4-4 speed. You know, second best receiver in reception perception versus man. Best receiver in reception perception among all incoming rookies versus zone. Is he someone that you're you're buying at all, or are you kind of staying away from someone like him at this yeah, point? Yeah, I absolutely love Sky Moore. He did really well uh, in in the rookie model that I created for receivers over at PFF. People can go look at it. Um, scored really highly in a lot of in a lot of important ways. Here's the other thing: Juju Smith-Schuster has tried for two years in a row to get a contract, and he can't. Why? Because since his breakout season, he's gone from a 2.08 yards per route run to a 1.49 to a 1.29 to a 0.88. Targets per route run in his breakout year were 24%. Since, there, since then, 18% down, and then he had a 19%, then he had a 17%. He is a wide receiver three to wide receiver four in the NFL. Like Juju Smith-Schuster, like I think we're giving him too much credit because he has had two, uh, he's had a 97 and a 111 reception season. Um, and look, it is, it's great for the age that he's at. But look, none of his underlyings really suggest that Juju Smith-Schuster is really that good of a player anymore. And the fact that he couldn't get a contract, despite how young he is and all these teams and how much they're paying for receivers, I think that tells us what the NFL also thinks of Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, he gets to play with 
who Patrick Mahomes. So that's great. That's what's boosting Smith Schuster up the boards, but I'm fading Smith Schuster. I'm far below ADP on him because of all the trends that I just talked about in his underlying data, which means the player I already loved coming out was Sky Moore. And so he's the guy that I would much rather draft. I would much, much, much rather draft Sky Moore around pick 41, where his 80 or 40 is his ADP 41. Sorry. Is his ADP on FFPC 39 on underdog. I have him in my wide receiver uh, tier 4A, so those are your upside wide receiver fours. Um, I love Sky Moore. Um, I will be well over market consensus in the amount of teams that have Sky Moore on it. Awesome. I absolutely love that. And the last thing we have for you today, Dwayne, it has been a wonderful show to have you on. I appreciate all this deep dive. I can't wait to listen back and take notes myself. But the biggest question of all is your flag plant. And I will say, I'm going to put a little pressure on you here. Your fellow PFF constituents have done really well on the flag plants of my show. Ian Harditz's flag plant last year was on Deontay Johnson and Andrew Erickson. Rest in peace. No, he's still alive, but <laughs> former former PFF employee moving on to bigger and better things at Fantasy Pro. Shout out to him for being amazing. His flag plant last year was Joe Mixon. So, Dwayne, it is up to you to live up to this PFF standard on this podcast. <laughs> Who is your 2022 flag plant? Oh, wow. So much pressure. Um, you know, my flag plant and, and the way I look at these things is when I'm drafting and like, cause here's the number one thing. Like I love playing fantasy football. That's why yeah. I do what I do. Like I, I love competing in, you know, all sorts of leagues, you know, I've, uh, you know, I'm always trying to win money. So I actually put like, the way I think about it is the players that I draft the most, the most often, like that's who I'm going to give you as my flag plant. And so we're still early in the season. So I may give you something else later in the season, but right now, like the player that I just pretty much never skip when they get to me in the sixth round. And there's a lot of factors that go into it, but it's Kyler Murray. Um, and when you look at Kyler Murray, here's the reason why, like I haven't graded as my number two quarterback. I have, I have Josh Allen, number one, I have Kyler Murray, number two. And the reason why is pretty simple name to me, the other players in the league that realistically, and their offenses with their talent, with the surrounding talent, can throw for 5,000 yards and run for 1,000. Yeah, not many. There's not any. Yeah. Josh Allen's not going to run for 1,000 yards. He could throw for 5,000. Now, Josh Allen's going to score more rushing touchdowns, so he can offset it. And I have Josh Allen number one. But Lamar Jackson didn't throw him for 5,000 yards. It's mm -hmm. not happening. He can throw it. He can run for 1,000. So Kyler Murray is the only player, like, besides, you know, and we'll give Josh Allen, you know, we'll leave him in the tier. Like he's the only one and you get him in the sixth round. Why? Just because people think he gets hurt. Like, like there's no real reason why. Like you go look at all his underlying statistics. He's gotten better across the board and everything. Every single season he's become better as a passer. He's more selective when he runs the ball. Has he got, got has he gotten dinged up late in seasons? Yeah, he has. But I'm definitely still taking, I, I think he should be graded at above Justin Herbert and a lot of these guys. And I like Justin Herbert. I love Joe Burrow. But why would you take them over Kyler Murray? They do not have near that range of outcomes. That the high end range of outcomes for those guys, for Kyler Murray is much higher than either one of those players who I love. I love both of those players, so don't get me wrong. But Kyler Murray would be my flag plant. The other thing is like it gets kind of crazy in the middle rounds this year, and so being able to still take a true difference maker that someone is letting fall to you, I love. I love getting my hands on Kyler. Also pretty easy to make stacks now, right? DeAndre Hopkins has fallen down the boards. If you like Rondell Moore, you can do it. If you like Marquise Brown, he's going round four, round five. You have a lot of different weights. Zach Ertz is, a, is, you know, goes around, you know, is the tight end 11 or 12. Lots of different ways to also stack Kyler Murray. Absolutely. I love, I love that pick. But another thing I might have to ask, if you can tip your hat and you can say no to this, 
Are there any other like two or three players that you can't leave your drafts without? Maybe it's CD Lamb, maybe it's Michael Pittman, someone we already talked about, but are there any other players that you're really drafting a lot of more than anyone at this point in the offseason? At this point in the office, I, I offseason, I don't worry too much about like where I'm at on weight, but yeah, like sure. the players. So like right now, like a player that I'm drafting almost all the time, like and I'll have to pull back later, probably some just in case like injury. But CD Lamb is on the list. Um, Michael Pittman is on. These are all the guys that like I have ranked above consensus, you know, so we've yeah. kind of talked about them already. Um, you know, from a running back perspective, um, I had been taking Leonard Fournette and James Conner a ton. Now they're starting to rate, they're starting to move up boards now. So like, I don't want James Conner in the second, right? I don't want a 27, 27 year old back that is mostly all based on projection, not necessarily on his talent, but if he stays in the third round, he will continue to be a guy. But now Brees Hall, like over on underdog right now, um, Brees Hall, you can get in the fourth and fifth round. Um, Brees Hall, like, look, he's still a dual threat player. He's got big upside as a receiver. He can make big plays. Like, so for me, um, and I like Michael Carter as well. So, but whenever I'm getting Brees Hall in the fifth round, absolutely love it. But yeah, like if I just had to say one, like that, it's like every time I come around the turn and they're sitting there, I take them at the end of round one, it's CeeDee Lamb, like for okay. all the reasons I gave you. I love that. I love that. Well, Dwayne, I'm looking right now just to see if there was any others I should throw out at you, but oh, absolutely. I think, I think that's, I think that's good. Okay. I love that. No, those are all great picks. All guys that are really interesting. And you made a case for the guys that I wasn't like, I'm, I've definitely been hammering, you know, Leonard Fournette and James Conner home on this podcast. I love Brees Hall, but I love that you got to highlight CD lamb and Michael Pittman. I am definitely higher on them after listening to what you had to say. So thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for coming on our show. It was amazing to have you before we go. Is there anything that you'd like to plug or anything you need to the listeners need to know about before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I think we've hit on most of it. Just if you want to go over to Pro Football Focus, um, I'm putting out content every single week. Well, first of all, like Ian Harditz and myself, we're doing um, a series right now where we're covering every team, and we'll have them all covered by early July. So we've already we recorded the uh, AFC East last week; those are all up. This week we recorded NFC East, and those will all be up next week. So you can you can follow along with those. And then I will be so my wide receiver tier and rankings came out this week. And you can see all of the cool data visuals that go along with it that I talked about on the show. And you can actually decide for yourself, does Dwayne have these guys tiered right? Or does he have some, did I miss something? I've actually had some people reach out and be like, hey man, I was looking at this guy's profile. You sure he doesn't really fit up here in this tier? And even Ian's done it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like it's really close. Like, you know, he maybe should belong in that other tier. Um, but then I'll be doing the same thing for tight ends next week. Then I'll be revisiting the running back. So my tiers are up for all the positions, but okay. I'm going to go back and really do, uh, you know, put all the data visual stuff along with it and then i'll be doing some other stuff too so just just keep an eye over on pff and then you can follow me at twitter on twitter at Dwayne mcfarland d-w-a-i-n-m-c-f-a-r-l-a-n-d i'm always just dropping uh, different sorts of stats and different things over there absolutely you probably have the at this point in, in probably 2022 i will say for the listeners Dwayne Dwayne mcfarland probably has the record for most retweets by me um, in terms of like who I've retweeted the most, because you're always putting out really great actionable content. You have to follow Dwayne at Dwayne McFarland. Like he said, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. Got to follow him. Great content coming out each and every single day. And again, you can find him on YouTube on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Always listen to it. Always great stats and info coming out from him and Ian Harditz. But Dwayne, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, it's been an even bigger pleasure to have you talking football with us today. So we very much appreciate you. And as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.